So good evening, everyone. <clears throat> and now uh, is the volume okay for you with the, me talking this way? Anybody having trouble? It's okay. A little bit louder. Slightly louder. A little bit louder. Let's see how that's doing now. Does that work better? So let's see now. Is that better? Can you hear? A little bit more. Let's see. Is that any better? I have to tr- keep talking to find out. I want my instinct is to listen. <laughs> so is that better now? Okay. Sometimes my voice gets soft. So. <clears throat> it's an auspicious event to begin a month-long retreat. It's even more auspicious to uh, have it on the tail end of a mo- the month of February. And it's even more auspicious to do it with the support and the boost of the 25 people who are continuing from February into March. And so I want to thank those of you who have been practicing here for a month. Uh, you're practicing not just for yourself, but for all beings. And 60 of those beings just showed up today. And uh, <clears throat> it's your act of, whether you're thinking of this or not, it's a generous thing that you are here and held the space and allow the continuity of February uh, continue for those of people who are arriving today. And, um, and I think of you as hosts for this first day as we all arrive. And then over the next few days, we'll get integrated together. And sometimes for the people who are continuing, uh, uh, it's a bit of a rough ride to have so many of their friends leave and have people come in who are not as settled. Uh, And so it takes a while for the new people to get settled and everyone to get used to each other. So for those of you who are continuing, um, just uh, hopefully you can be gracious and patient through this time. But also, those of you who are continuing, please know, uh, I think a lot of us are very grateful for for you and for your presence and what you're doing here. So thank you very much. And for those of you who come today, uh, it's a privilege to welcome you here and to uh, be your teachers for these days. We have, I'm very, uh, I feel very blessed to be together with this crew of teachers. Uh, Those of you who don't know, it's John Travis and Heather Martin and Mary Grace Orr, and Philip Moffat. And then we have, very fortunate to have Tija Bell, who has been uh, teaching at this retreat for, I think probably the only person who's taught more of these retreats is John. Or maybe you, same. Twelfth year. year that he's been doing this. And he has a, he will be the, uh, your Qigong teacher for the, uh, for the, um, for the month. And he um, is a great uh, Qigong teacher and a Buddhist teacher himself. And uh, it's very, very wonderful that he's here and can be part of the team and teachers and supporting everything. And then we also have two teacher trainees who will be here for the first two weeks. And we have uh, Beth Sternleib and, and then we have Jason Murphy. And we'll talk more about them later. And this is kind of, you know, the basic crew. So I feel very blessed to be with 
these teachers and uh, this crew of people and the managers, we have a wonderful set of managers. And we have uh, wonderful cooks and wonderful places. So, you know, it's a whole big crew of people who uh, gather together to make this possible. It's really phenomenal to come, for me to come into Spirit Rock and know the background of all that it takes to make this happen. Um, uh, kind of um, fills me with appreciation and kind of a joy and inspiration to practice and to teach. That is a wonderful thing. So welcome all of you into this uh, for the March retreat. And uh, with this Dharma talk, the ship has left port. So here we go. The plan for this evening uh, is for, for me to give a talk and then uh, uh, Tija will say a few words about Qigong that you need to know. Then the people who have been here for the, the, since, since February will have, uh, have a chance to leave. And then those of you who arrived today will stay for some announcements you have to make, that you have to receive. So, so now for the talk. So one of the things that um, supports a practice like this is having confidence. Some people say having faith. And it's interesting to look at uh, how the Buddha defined, how he talked about confidence and faith. And there's a particular story, a particular discourse, where he brings up both the notion of faith or confidence and refuge together with loving kindness and liberation. And so one of my favorite little uh, discourses, and I want to share this to you. One of the things that you'll see is uh, that uh, I think is very uh, meaningful. I'll say it back up a little bit. So as many of you know, the ritual or the movement of the heart of going for refuge is one of the primary uh, ways in which uh, people express their commitment, their intention, their involvement with the Buddha Dharma and the Sangha. And Buddhists have been doing it for thousands of years. And for many people, including myself, it's very meaningful to be part of a lineage of people who've been doing this for thousands of years. They find inspiration, meaning, they practice, they throw themselves into it. And when I chant the refuges and precepts, I feel like I'm actually joining this huge stream of people who've, who you know, I am supported by for all their years of practice, going back thousands of years. So it's an important ritual, the idea of going for refuge. But oddly enough, if you look through the suttas, the ancient discourses of the Buddha, nowhere does the Buddha ever instruct anyone to go for refuge. It's never something he tells people to do. He seems to be okay with the idea because people in his presence will go for refuge and he silently receives it. So he doesn't protest and say, don't do it. But there's two places in the suttas where the Buddha does give instruction about refuge. And it's uh, different than maybe what you think. The first one, near the end of his life, he said, um, make yourself a refuge. Make yourself an island. And how do you make yourself a refuge? By practicing the four foundations of mindfulness. 
So that's nice. So you yourself are a refuge. You're a refuge for yourself. So to be able to, there's something about you taking refuge or having confidence in yourself that's very important for this. And the way you find that is through the practice of mindfulness. The second place where he talked about refuge is in the story, the sutta that I referred to today, where he uh, says, um, make yourself a refuge for all beings. This is very meaningful to me. He didn't say, go for refuge. Sometimes in English they take refuge, you know, appropriate refuge for yourself. It's for me only. But, um, but rather the Buddha's instru- uh, the, the second place where he said something about what to do about refuge, he said, make yourself a refuge for all beings. And it's a wonderful thing to feel that your life and your practice is here to support others, to provide them with protection, with safety, refuge, meanings of refuge, inspiration, guidance. And uh, for me, I'm very confident that simply by doing the practice of a month-long retreat, you are doing a practice which brings refuge to many people. There are many, many people who will never come here or have heard about the month-long retreats. And the fact that you're doing it is very meaningful for them. It gives them encouragement, inspiration, gives them confidence. It gives them a sense that there's something really possible about plumbing to the depths of the human heart and liberating it and freeing it. And um, it gives people hope. So whether you're intending it or not, you have become a refuge for many people uh, because of just coming here and engaging in this. So this story that I'll tell you is a very simple story is where the Buddha talks about this thing about become a refuge for all beings. And the story, it's, it's a discourse called The Simile of the Cloth. And it's, in the story, the Buddha is dwelling, hanging out on the, on the, near the edge of a river that was considered sacred in ancient India. And in these sacred rivers, part of the custom was that people would go and uh, bathe in the rivers to purify themselves. To this day in India, people go to some of the rivers, the Ganges, for example, for purification. And so there's a, um, a man who's into this kind of purification practice, and he says to the Buddha, uh, are, are you here to purify yourself in the river? And the Buddha says, um, in reply, um, he, he asks, um, then why, does the Buddha say, should I go to the river? What will the river do for me? And the man says, the river is held by many to give liberation. And it, it is held by many to give merit. And many wash away their evil actions in the river. And the Buddha then spoke these verses to the, the man. Um, this river and others a fool may, may there forever bathe, yet will not purify dark deeds. What can a river do? These rivers cannot purify an evildoer, a person who has done cruel and brutal deeds. One pure in heart has evermore the feast of spring. One fair in act, one pure in heart, brings his virtue to perfection. It is here that you should bathe, to make yourself a refuge for all beings. And if you speak no falsehood, 
nor work harm for living beings, nor take what is offered not, with faith and free from avarice, what need for you to go to the river? For any well will be your river then. So you make yourself a refuge for all beings by making your heart pure, by living by the precepts, not killing, not stealing, not lying, um, not working to harm any living being. So for the Buddha, this is the, the way to purification. There are different streams, rivers, that we can enter into in our lives, some which can purify us and some that don't. In ancient India, in some, still some days, still today in India, the idea of purification is very important. And we don't know why this Brahmin wanted to go into the river to purify himself. I would like to believe, or I tend to believe, that uh, he had his challenges. He had his suffering that he was trying to resolve and work with. And uh, for him, the idea of going to the river was what he knew to do. Most of us in our modern world don't use the language of purification. That is, you know, is the first and foremost thing we're trying to do. But we use other language, the things we try to do. Uh, we try to heal. Many people have ruptured relationships in their lives and ruptured, ruptured hearts because of that. And we want to heal it. Some people, one of the important tasks of a life is to discover who they are, to find out who they are, to discover really what's underneath the veil of our usual thoughts and worries and anxieties and, and find out what's really living in us, deep inside of us. For some people, the task of a lifetime is to the whole issue of belonging, uh, being, feeling outside, feeling not included, um, is a very painful thing. And so one of the important tasks is uh, finding yourself, finding yourself in community. Where do you belong? Where do you find your freedom in that? Some of us use the language of dignity, not in Buddhist uh, uh, circles, but the sense of personal worth, to be able to find a sense of worth, that we're important, that we're valuable, that we're, somehow that we're not, the, at least certainly not the opposite of that, we're, that we're unworthy. Or, and it's a task for some people to, to find their worth or overcome their sense of unworthiness. So we have our own language to speak, that we're trying to do something. And I think it's uh, really normal and one of the beautiful things about the human heart, it's, 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 uh, its drive or its impulse to resolve, dissolve, uh, discover, uh, recover, and you know, the, the wholeness of the heart, the fullness of the heart, the freedom of the heart, the love of the heart that that's, can flow freely. And, um, and I think there's a kind of a drive almost to do that, um, to become whole, to be healed. I liken it to that of, uh, you know, if you cut your finger, the body has this drive to heal the finger. And within some days, the little cut will heal. You, after a week, you probably don't know you have a, had a cut. When we have our psychological issues, there's a drive to wholeness, there's a drive to freedom, there's a drive to for the love to flow fully and completely. And so we have all these different ways to try to meet that impulse. And, and, um, and, but some of the ways that we try to meet that impulse don't really work so well, and some do. So in, in ancient India, the, the man was trying to satisfy that impulse by swimming in a river, thinking the river would do it for him. Something else would do it. 
through externalizing where the solution was going to come from. If only something out in the world was different, something out in the world was going to take care of me. The Buddha's uh, approach was to go into a different stream, a different river, and this is the river of the heart, or the river of your inner life, the river of your mind, and purify that, or begin to clarify that, begin to practice with it. And that's the river that can give birth to confidence. Confidence or faith is a very important uh, quality to support and carry us in this practice. So in this, as he's talking in the sutta, the Buddha gives a simile of a cloth. He says, if you take a cloth that's heavily stained and you dip it in a dye, it won't take the dye well. It'll come out all messed up. But if the cloth is clean and you dip it in the dye, it'll take the dye evenly throughout and it'll look good. In the same way, if your mind is stained, if your mind is caught, if your mind is preoccupied, if your mind is contracted, it won't, uh, you know, I don't know what the dye is here, but it, 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 you know, it won't kind of work. It won't reveal uh, the inner purity or the inner freedom uh, that's possible. But if the mind is pure, if the mind is not stained, then it, can, it has a mind that can lead to happiness. So he gives a simile. So make your mind kind of like a pure cloth. Then he goes through and he lists a set of mental states that torment people, that afflict people. And uh, it's kind of an interesting list because it's kind of a social list. It's kind of, th- it's kind of uh, emotions or states that we have often in relationship to other people. Or, you know, um, So the Buddha says, what are the imperfections that stain the mind? Greed is an imperfection that stains the mind. Ill will, anger, resentment, contempt, insolence, envy, avarice, deceit, fraud, obstinacy, rivalry, arrogance, vanity, and negligence are all imperfections that stay in the mind. So he's just naming what can happen. And maybe naming what troubles us. You know, if you find yourself suffering, not necessarily have this, any of this, this set, but if you're suffering, the teachings in Buddhism is that there's something we're clinging to. And so to discover what it is we're clinging to is a very important task to enter into this inner river that can purify or heal or free us. Then he goes on to say, knowing that these things are imperfections that stain the mind, a person abandons them, lets them go. Easier said than done, but lets them go. But, um, But now this is the part why I wanted to emphasize this. When you have seen some attachment, some clinging, some contraction that causes suffering, you've identified it, and you, it's, you've managed to let go of it, managed to have it dissolve or fall away, that's a very special time 
to appreciate. Very special time to register and take in, oh, it's not there anymore. It's been let go of. Because then, it says here, a person acquires confidence in the Buddha. But there's an adjective before the word confidence. And um, the adjective means um, uh, based on knowing. Some people translate it as confirmed confidence. But it's confidence in the Buddha based on knowing something for yourself. And this is the, the real heart of the, you know, the most useful confidence to have, is the confidence that knows from all your own experience that it's possible to have a mind or a heart that's not caught in greed, that's not caught in anger or resentment or fear. And to have that experience or intuition of that experience to know that's possible, to have had a taste of that at some point in your life, that's the reference point for having confidence in the Buddha. The, the reference point for having confidence in the, or faith or trust in the Buddha is not in the great power and wisdom of the Buddha, but rather something that we, something that we can know for ourselves, that we realize um, is reflected in the Buddha, or the Buddha represents, so the Buddha is the, 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 the paradigm that, that uh, demonstrates this possibility. The Buddha is the person who brings this to fullness, this possibility. So, to have confidence in the Buddha, you don't have to believe in the Buddha as some externally wonderful person. to have the confirmed confidence is to have let go. And some of you have just arrived today. Some of you have been here for a long time. Some of you have practiced for a long time. Perhaps if you, if you can look back over your practiced life and see in the shifts that you've had from times when you were caught and times you were not caught. To notice that difference. And it's in that difference if you really appreciate that difference and what it's like not to be caught, that tells you something about what it's like to be a Buddha. And to have confidence in that, to believe in that. And that's the stream we enter into. It's not an easy stream to appreciate because it doesn't, you know, it just seems maybe too, a little bit, you know, you know, little puny little psychological change. It's not like, you know, I become one with a Godhead. You know, there's all these great, you know, cosmic things, you know, one with cosmic consciousness. So there's all these great things you can do, right, when you get involved with meditation practice and all these wonderful experiences and great rivers you can step into. Um, and so it's easy to overlook how, at least in this early tradition, um, puts tremendous value on this simple act not easy act of having let go of our clinging, our holding on to these states. Again, it's not easy to do, but that's where confidence can get born. So I hope that uh, all of you have had some taste, even if it's just a teeny taste in your life, of that possibility.
for me, uh, I think one of the first tastes that I had of something like this that became important many years, when I started meditating, the memory of that came back. It was a memory I had when I was about 10 or 11. And it was a memory of um, taking uh, the public bus home from school every day. I was living in Italy. And uh, and the um, back then in the 60s, they had, uh, uh, I guess, a driver and a conductor. The conductor was the person who sold the tickets for the bus trip. But then the driver just drove. And... Um, and I lived kind of the end of the line. And so I discovered that if I sat in a certain seat behind the conductor every day, I could look over his shoulder. And, and he would, at the, near the end of the trip, he'd bring out this clipboard and he would uh, fill in the, the clipboard uh, how many tickets of different ty- t- types he sold. Like r- single, one way, round trip, child, whatever. You know, he had all these categories. And I would sit there and watch him you know, do his accounting. And I would feel so good. I would just, like my whole world would just kind of get soft and, and, and harmonious. Everything just felt very harmonious, like everything was in place. The world was a safe and good place. And, um, and I had a taste of a mind or a heart that was, had no uh, clinging, no attachment, no fear, no wanting something. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I didn't, you know, particularly value it. I didn't think about it after I got off the bus. I just knew that if I sat in that place, that, that, that seat in the bus, I could have that great experience. When I started meditating regularly, many, many years later, then um, uh, that memory came back and provided me with confidence. Oh, there is a way. I don't, have to, I don't have to live with guilt. That was my big thing. I don't have to live with anxiety. I don't have to live with fear. I don't have to live with greed or anger or resentment or insolence or all these things listed here. And that gave me a lot of encouragement to keep practicing. It wasn't that then I easily let go of these things, but this confidence carried me into the practice, kept me going. And, um, and kind of put me into the, street, the stream of the Dharma. So we don't go into the stream of these sacred rivers, we go into the stream of the Dharma. So this, this sutta then goes on. And um, so the Buddha explains this. This is, how, this, is how, this is how you have confirmed confidence in the Buddha, by seeing something in your own mind. So you also how you have confirmed confidence in the Dharma. And the Dharma is here defined or explained as the Dharma is well proclaimed by the Buddha, visible here and now, immediately effective, inviting inspection, onward leading to be experienced by the wise for themselves. I love this passage description of the Dharma. And this idea, you know, if I was a really, you know, lived up to my Zen roots. I would probably take and slam the stage or something now, just make a big bang, just imagine it. And, you know, it's a here and now, you know, but I kind of don't have it. Let Tija do it later. <laughs> the, um, 
So the Dharma is visible here and now. You should really like the Dharma. Should I just tattooed? Dharma is visible here and now. I mean, not there and then. That's really a profound statement. So I'll pause. It's so profound. And tell you a story. Um, there was a Japanese priest who came to America in the 60s named Reverend Ogui. And uh, he started hanging out with Suzuki Roshi, the Zen master in Japantown. And Suzuki Roshi uh, asked him one day if he'd give a Dharma talk. And uh, Reverend Ogui said, no, I can't. I don't speak enough English. I can't give a Dharma talk. And... Um, so the next day, when Suzuki Roshi didn't give a Dharma talk and Reverend Agui was in the audience, Suzuki Roshi gave a Dharma talk in English that only used seven words. To demonstrate, you don't have to know much English to give a talk. So these were the seven words. I hope I have them right. Today is today. Today is not yesterday. Today is not tomorrow. Today is today. Isn't that great? So, there's something very meaningful and powerful about here and now, visible here and now, experienced here and now. And the huge part of the task of practice is to no longer be living, li- no longer be living in there and then. And it'd be very interesting to watch and track your mind over the retreat and get a sense of how often is your mind there and then and how often is it here and now. Here and now is the st- where the stream of freedom is found. So to take, come back here, come back here. So this confidence puts you in a river, in a stream, the stream of the Dharma. And here, what follows in this text, I think is very profound also. Um, in, in, here it says, in considering that I have confirmed confidence in the Dharma, one gains inspiration in the Dharma. One gains gladness connected to the Dharma. When one is glad, rapture is born. In one who is rapturous, the body becomes tranquil. And whose body is tranquil, when one's body is tranquil, one feels pleasure or happiness. When one feels happiness, the mind becomes concentrated. So there's a sequence here that starts with inspiration, gladness, rapture, physical tranquility, happiness, and concentration. But the way that this is described, the verbs is described, it's described as if it unfolds naturally. It's not something we do in huff and puff. Rather, once you have confidence, once you have trust, 
once you have trust in being present in the mindfulness, it puts you in a, in a stream of the Dharma that flows, that unfolds for you. And so there's this wonderful balance in the practice between taking responsibility to show up, responsibility to be here and now, responsibility to be mindful and present, and at the same time to allow or to give up responsibility, to allow the unfolding, the flowing, the natural flow of these things that happen if we relax deeply enough and trust this process. And that relaxing and that process unfolds best if there can be some confidence or faith or trust, depending on the word that you like. So this, this balance between, and this is a tricky one for many of us to learn and practice, between how much effort to make for ourselves and how much to trust the unfolding. We trust that the body will heal if we cut our finger. Can we trust that the Dharma will heal you if you enter into the stream of the Dharma, being mindful, being present, with confidence and trust, not trying so much, not pushing, not demanding. Then, in this wonderful little discourse that has so much packed into it, it ends, this, this list ended with concentration, becoming concentrated, being settled. And then it describes the practice or, this, or the state of concentration that a person ent- enters into. A wonderful de- de- uh, description of a, of a concentrated mind, mind state. So here's the description of a concentrated mind that comes. Pervading one quarter, one direction, with a mind imbued with loving kindness. One does the same likewise in all directions. Above, below, around, and everywhere. One abides pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. So there's the love part. And so here also, uh, it doesn't say that a person then, it's almost as if it follows, that when a mind trusts deeply, it just trusts just being, and settles in, gets focused, it's almost as if what can bubble up is a state of love, loving kindness, or compassion, or sympathetic joy, or equanimity. And it's very interesting, this description of loving kindness, uh, loving kindness does not have an object. Not like, you know, may that person be happy, may I be happy. It's a state of love that we're capable of having when we can relax deeply and trust just to be, just to be here. And then from that basis of loving kindness, a strong, settled loving kindness, that becomes the basis in this text to the next step to attain liberation freedom. So we have here a process. We have a river, a stream. Buddhism is very process-oriented, that we trust a process, we enter into a process that carries us, it takes its time. Those of you, as you begin this retreat, 
you're entering into a profound process. I'm, if, if you didn't practice at all, forget about meditation practice for this month. All you did was live here in silence and hung out here. You'd be a different person by the end of the month. It's, it's a profound process to be here on this land. It's a profound process to, to be carried by the retreat, by the schedule, by everything we do here. And then on top of that, we add the practice. And that supports this process we're going to unfold, unfold into and move through as we do here. Have confidence in yourself. Be a, be a refuge for yourself. Have confidence in your capacity to become free. Your capacity to not be tied down, limited by the pains, the sufferings, the attachments, the greeds, the hates, the fears that will certainly come as we go through this, this month together. Have confidence that that's not how you have, it doesn't have to be. There's a path, there's a practice that takes us beyond it. And let that confidence and that trust support you to settle in more deeply into here and now, visible here and now, inviting inspection, And as you trust the practice, as you trust going into this, um, allow, the, allow this deeper and deeper settling that happens. It's great if you can allow it to be joyful. Appreciate it. And if there are inklings of loving kindness, if there are inklings of, um, of love, compassion, that come along. Take them as beautiful supports for this path of liberation. Let, it, let that love and that compassion ripen and fill in you much, much, as, much as seems easy. Because love and compassion are very important stepping stones to liberation. The idea that this love described in this text has no object, particular object, uh, means you're included. <laughs> means everybody's included. Just there's a heart that's just open and kind. And this is how one makes oneself a full refuge for all beings. To engage in this practice, to let the process of the practice unfold and deepen. <clears throat> trust yourself, trust the practice. Trust that it's okay to let go of so many of the things that you're preoccupied and caught by. Trust that it's okay to let the practice know what you need to do, what needs to happen. When you cut yourself, your body knows what's needed to heal. The Dharma knows better what you need than you do. So if you can uh, trust yourself, I, trusting yourself this way is synonymous with trusting the Dharma. But the Dharma knows. Take refuge in your goodness. Take refuge in your capacity for practice. Take refuge in your capacity to be mindful. And if you can do it with confidence and trust to remember it, come back to it, it's great.
So this stream of dharma, this process that unfolds through the sequence of inspiration, gladness, rapture, tranquility, happiness, and concentration is a section of one of the themes we're going to use for our talks during this retreat. One of the themes we're going to do, the primary theme of the retreat, is what I call the liberative dependent origination. Uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi translated it as a transcendent dependent origination. And this is the 12-step sequence of a process from suffering to liberation. Again, again, this, this whole tradition emphasizes process, this, the, the sequence of how these things unfold. And, um, and so we'll go through these. And the middle section of those are those things I just read. And there's, uh, but the, the, the 12 steps are, starts with suffering. It's always good to start with suffering. It makes it real, makes you real. Don't be afraid of your suffering. It's where it begins. And then it uh, continues with faith, trust, confidence, gladness, rapture, tranquility, happiness, concentration, seeing things as they are, disenchantment, fading away of attachment, liberation, and then ending with knowledge and vision of liberation. So we'll give uh, 12 talks through the middle section of the retreat on this theme. Before we get to that, we'll do a series of talks on the four foundations of mindfulness as a kind of foundational practice for all this. So we'll do the four foundations, we'll do the 12 steps of this dependent origination, and then uh, interspersed in that with a little bit of, you know, kind of sweetening up at all, uh, the teacher trainees are going to give talks on each of the Brahma Viharas. So you'll get uh, talks on uh, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And um, so that's kind of uh, what we've planned so far. And then there'll be some talks at the, at the end that will be on something. So, um, so what I'd like to do now is um, as a way of somehow appropriately respecting that we have two communities that have gathered together and forming one. We have the people continuing from February and we have the people arriving today. Um, One of the ways to join community and feel like we're all doing something together is to chant together. And this is in many spiritual traditions, that's a way of creating union and harmony between people. And it's, uh, as you all know, it's customary at the beginning of a retreat to begin with chanting the refuges. And uh, so I thought we would chant the refuges together as a kind of ritual beginning of the re- this part of the re- March retreat. And as, we, as you chant it, <clears throat> you might uh, think of the Buddha, Dharma, the sa- and Sangha as not something outside of yourself, but rather a mirror 
for a capacity in your own mind and heart. That, that what the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha represent is your mind. Your mind no longer holding tight, no longer gripped in its fear or hate or greed or whatever it might be, delusion. May, the re- may you be a refuge for yourself. May you be a refuge for all the people here in the retreat. We practice together. We're not practicing alone. And may you be a refuge for all beings everywhere. So, um, why don't uh, I'll do uh, chant one line at a time, and then you can repeat after me. Those of you who don't know the chant, so you can't you just learn it from repeating from me. That's okay, because it works just as well if you hum along. So first, what we do is we chant what's called the homage to the Buddha three times. Uh, it's a way of paying our respects to the Buddha. Without him, we would be, we would not be together here as a group. And um, and then uh, we chant the refuges, and it's done three times. And it, the, how it's, with, with those of you who don't know the meaning of the Pali, it uh, means I go for refuge in the Buddha, I go for refuge in the Dharma, I go for refuge in the Sangha, and then for second time I do that, for the third time I do that. So I can repeat after me. Namo tasa bhagavato aharato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama sambuddhasa Buddham Saranangachami Buddham Saranangachami Dhammam Saranangachami Dhammam Saranangachami Sangham Saranangachami Dutiampi Buddham Saranangachami Dutiampi Buddham Saranangachami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranangachami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranangachami 
Nudiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Budang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Budang Saranang Gachami Nadiyampi Sangam Sarananga Chami Nadiyampi Sangam Sarananga Chami I think that since um, <clears throat> we're all together as a community and we're going to create community together. Community is a very important part of this. Sometimes it's forgotten that we're in it together. Um, there's, there can be a tendency to kind of be solitary. It's my practice. And, but the community is usually important. I think that uh, to, to really to, to appreciate this and to, to really kind of protect it and, and all share in that protection of it, um, I think before the two-month pe- people leave, if we would chant uh, or take the precepts together, also part of the beginning of a retreat. So we all know as a community, this is what we share. And uh, I'll say it in English, uh, just to say it, and then you can repeat after me. And we'll do it each sentence in two parts. <clears throat> For the sake of our training together, I vow not to kill. For the sake of our training together, I vow not to take what is not given. For the sake of our training together, I vow not to engage in sexual misconduct. For the sake of our training together, I vow not to speak falsehoods. For the sake of our training together, I vow not to intoxicate mind or body. So thank you all. And then one more thing before we part ways for the evening. Tija? Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.